0: Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. The Gospel reading today is, is fascinating, and it shows Jesus uh, as the great master teacher he is. It's from Matthew chapter 24, and it's worth knowing that the Matthew 24 is contains what we call the Olivet Discourse. It's the final sermon of Jesus as featured in the Gospel of Matthew. And its purpose is to reveal events, uh, of the near and distant future. So Jesus is making prophetic remarks there. He's also instructing his disciples on how to prepare for what is yet to come. So today's reading begins in Matthew 24 at verse 42. I just want to stress, though, that before he gets to verse 42, he's already—he's given them a parable from the fig tree um, uh, that— it doesn't bring forth its its leaves, um, uh, and that when it does bring forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. He gives the example from the days of Noah, uh, people marrying and giving in marriage, uh, eating and drinking right up until the day Noah entered the ark. So this is obviously, a, he's building up, and he says then in verse 42, watch therefore, Because you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the householder had known in what watch the burglar was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason you also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom the Master has appointed over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will appoint him over all his goods. But if that wicked slave says in his heart, Hmm, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunken fellows, the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect and at an hour that he does not know. And he will cut him in two and give him a place with the hypocrites. There will be the wailing and the grinding of teeth. Uh, yes, it's it's meant to grab our attention. It starts out with the word watch or uh, be attentive, stand guard. The disciples of Jesus have to learn to live in the light of his certainty, right? The certainty of his coming, but in the uncertainty of knowing when he's coming. So Jesus calls on his followers to live, that they're always going to be ready when the great day comes. He says, watch, therefore. So his followers live lives that whenever he comes, they'll be prepared. In fact, it's in the present tense. It really means keep watching. Um, We watch because we do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Now, if if we knew just exactly when the coming would take place, many of us would probably delay preparations until just before his return. (laughs) But we don't know. And therefore, we have to live in constant readiness. So Jesus is underlining this point. You do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Ignorance of the day is one of the conditions of living in the here and now. Let let me make this clear. We live in the certainty of his return, but we also live in the uncertainty of its exact time. In fact, this is a key part of being a disciple of Jesus. Ignorance of the day is simply one of the conditions of a disciple living in the here and now. Now, Jesus, he's a great teacher. Uh, He's much more than a great teacher. At the very least, he's a great teacher. And here, in verse 43 of Matthew 24, he uses a memorable but kind of funny illustration. He says, If the householder had known in what watch the burglar was coming, He would have kept watch and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Again, we don't know at what hour the Lord is coming. But we know what we would do if a certain situation arose in the normal course of life, a burglary. Uh, They happen from time to time. And what makes them possible is that the burglar comes at a time unknown to the householder. He chooses a time when he's not going to be expected, and so he can get away with all the wickedness that he intends. If the time of the burglar's coming was known, uh, even in general terms, the householder would be ready for him. So Jesus is saying that if the man knew approximately when the burglar would come, he'd keep watch, he'd protect his goods, he could safely neglect watching at all the other times. But since he doesn't, he has to take reasonable precautions at all times or run the risk of losing his goods. So constant readiness is the disciples' safeguard, to live in constant readiness. The point is that no one knows, even approximately, when the Son of Man will return. And so what we have to do, if we want to be sure uh, of our relationship to the Lord, we have to live in constant readiness. For this reason, he goes on in verse 44, for this reason, you also be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So again, this is... uh, Notice notice how, you might say, a rather simple point is made by Jesus over and over again. This is because he knows it has to be burned into our consciousness. I mean, how many of us do live in the expectation of his coming? That that is a, a... you know, uh, a lodestar for us, that that's our compass point. I, I know that uh, only as I've gotten older has this become, I've always believed in his coming, but uh, what it means to live in light of it is something that I think you pick up in time. Uh, he leaves no doubt about the fact the Son of Man is coming. It's a certainty that we can all bet on, but the timing of it is another matter. So Jesus turns his attention uh, in verse 45 from watchfulness uh, to what's the fate of those who are ready when he returns, and what's the fate of those who aren't ready when he returns? Uh, Let me read from the text. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom the master has appointed over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he'll appoint him over all his goods. But if that wicked slave says in his heart, My master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunken fellows, the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect and at an hour that he does not know. and He'll cut him in two and give him a piece with the hypocrites. There will be the wailing and the grinding of teeth. Notice that Jesus doesn't name or identify the servant who is ready, but asks who he is. Who is that servant? That's a way of inviting his readers, or I guess his hearers in this case, a way of inviting his hearers to reflect on their own state of readiness. The phrase faithful and sensible slave is taken from a household where there are many slaves, and one of them is put in a responsible position over the slaves while well, the master's away, the lead servant doesn't owe his position uh, to his own choice. He was appointed. He, he didn't, uh, you know, submit an application. He was appointed by the master over the household, and the faithful servant, the faithful slave, being there, he is responsible. It's his task to be sure that the members get their food. They get it at the proper time. Um, so he does what he should. He doesn't know when the master will return, but that doesn't concern him really. He works at the task committed to him so that whenever the master chooses to come back, the house is going to be in order. When the master comes back, he's going to find him working at the things at which he should be working, and then he gets blessed. Yeah, this is one of those situations where people often—this has happened a number of times over the years—people will say, um— about, uh, you know, an apparition or some predictive judgment or prediction of judgment that's soon to occur. And they say, you know, if you knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, what would you be doing today? I'd pretty much be doing the same thing today that I'm doing now. And I think that's, we ought, ought to keep that in mind. Are we doing what we've been called to to do? There's a statement attributed to Martin Luther. It goes something like this: um, uh, If, if I knew the Lord was coming, I would plant a tree today. Now, the the assumption there is that he's been called to be, you know, to work in an arbory. He's he's he works with plants. He works with trees. He takes care. He he's called to do landscaping or something. So if the Lord is coming back. Tomorrow, I'd plant a tree today. In other words, I'm going to do what I've been called to do. Um, and he says that such a person is going to be blessed. A lot of translations have dropped the word blessed, and they, use, they kind of secularize it a bit. They say uh, fortunate, or they say happy. Um, yeah, I, I get what's going on there. They want to bring out the joy that's conveyed. Uh, the blessed person is a person full of joy but by by just reducing it to happy or fortunate kind of reduces the spiritual content of it. There's more to blessedness than happiness. Go to the Beatitudes. The poor in spirit are blessed. Oh, they're happy. Yeah. But what does that mean? They're happy because they're completely and utterly destitute in the realm of the spirit. They, they recognize they do not have spiritual resources and are completely dependent on God. Um, they're blessed, and this is the key thing. They are blessed and they are happy because the hunger for God that they feel in their poverty of spirit is certain to be fulfilled. They are happy in the same sense that a hungry, famished man who hasn't eaten for a day uh, is happy knowing that he's about to go to the banquet. The faithful servant is blessed because he's going about his master's business with full, joyful anticipation of the master's return. And there the master is going to reward the servant by setting him in the most responsible position. Uh, He appoints him over all his goods. So the reward for faithful service is opportunity of serving in a higher and more responsible capacity. Um, I don't know how many times I've been asked over the years about how to get in Catholic media. How can I get in Catholic media? My answer is always the same. What are you doing right now to spread the word of the kingdom? Start right where you are. Don't wait for schooling or training. Just start where you are, sharing what you know about the master. And when he wants, he'll broaden your ministry. It's our responsibility to go deeper. It's his responsibility to make the message go wider and broader. I'll come back on the other side of the break and uh, wrap up uh, this uh, particular gospel reading from today. And also have a few words about what Catholics do believe about the coming, the return of Jesus. I'm Al Creston. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Last segment we took a look at today's gospel reading. I just want to wrap it up uh, a little bit and get on to what the church actually teaches regarding Jesus' return. we were in Matthew chapter 24. It's the passage uh, in which Jesus is uh, talking about the faithful and sensible slave or servant and then the wicked servant. We finished last segment talking about the master rewarding uh, the faithful servant by making him responsible over many things. So th- the person who's faithful in his service, right, uh, Christ broadens, expands the responsibility that this fellow holds now over m- much more of the kingdom, much more over the household, however you want to look at it. He doesn't just leave you stagnant. You did a good job, good enough. No, he takes that as an opportunity to expand the services of the faithful and wise slave. Um, and then he turns his attention, Jesus turns his attention, to the unfaithful slave. Now this this person, uh, if, the, if the faithful slave had a certain type of character, this fellow has the opposite. Um, he says, if that wicked slave says in his heart, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunken fellows, the master of that slave will come on a day that he does not expect and at an hour he does not know. and He'll cut him in two and give him a place with the hypocrites and they'll be wailing and the grinding of teeth. Well, the, wacko, the slave, right? <laughs> he, has no, he has no virtue. I mean, he has no moral fiber. Um, he's he's not even, in a sense, rebelling against the master. He's simply indulging just his base characteristics. He's thinking in his innermost being, in his heart. Is, that, seems to, that means what other people can't see. So he's saying in his heart, my master's delayed, you know. Yeah, uh, Jesus' is coming is delayed. He doesn't ask how long the delay will be, but he seizes on the simple fact that he's not going to have to give an account of himself for quite some time now. I mean, he he has to know the Master's going to return, but he's so uh, unable to resist uh, impulses uh, that he chooses to forget that the Master is coming back with certainty. He acts for all the world as though the delay had somehow removed all possibility that the master is going to come back. And then, of course, we see what kind of man he is. He beats his fellow slaves. He's cruel. He eats and drinks with drunken fellows. He's self-indulgent. And he acts unjustly. He Again, he apparently hasn't reckoned with the fact that his charge is temporary. It was given to him by another. And he hasn't reckoned with the basic fact that the master is definitely coming back and will come on a day that I don't expect. Jesus adds an hour that he does not know. So Jesus, with that addition, there's underlining the truth that delay doesn't mean cancellation. All right? The master may have been away longer than you expected, but that doesn't mean he's not coming back. And, of course, the application to the coming of the Son of Man is obvious. Jesus closes off this illustration in Matthew 24, up to verse 51 now, with the unhappy fate of the wicked slave. The master, Jesus says, will cut him in two. Uh, that can't be meant literally because, in the next phrase, uh, the fellow is still alive. Uh, it probably means that he is going to get some sort of severe punishment, perhaps a heavy beating. And then the master will also put him with the hypocrites. Now, that's a funny word, it, it's the word that's used for actors. Uh, they play a part, the words are spoken for effect, they're not conveying the truth, they're just speaking for effect. These hypocrites were people who acted with a concern for the poor, but the real concern was to establish a reputation for their piety. Uh, in Luke's version of this, uh, it's not hypocrites, it's unbelievers. I think that's interesting, that in Luke's telling of this, uh, The hypocrites are also unbelievers. These things get blurred. Uh, Hypocrites come in for severe condemnation throughout the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus leaves no doubt as to the ultimate fate uh, of these. Um, There's going to be wailing and grinding of teeth. It's a proverbial expression. We talk about gnashing of teeth. Matthew uses it quite a few times. Um, It's very rare elsewhere in the New Testament, but it means exactly what you would think for those who are ultimately frustrated in that they are lost. They are in outer darkness. They've served one kingdom, and it was a false kingdom, and that kingdom collapsed. Yeah. We fool ourselves when we don't take Jesus' words with great seriousness the doctrine of the final judgment is tough the doctrine of hell is very tough it's 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 perhaps the one doctrine that we would we would tend to write off right um and yet you you dig around in the new testament there are certain passages in saint paul um for in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, and you say, oh, oh, maybe that means all will be saved, you know. There are other passages like that too. But then even in St. Paul, you come to passages in which he talks about the final judgment. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has many passages, he talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. You know. Uh, there's going to be a division at the end of history between those who are united to Christ and through whom Christ has been working and those who imagined that they were good people, uh, decent guys, you know, but in fact have lived lives of rebellion and self-indulgence and even cruelty to others. Uh, The teaching of the church is, I like to go right to the Nicene Creed on this because it's so compact So it says, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. So the end of history is coming. It's coming with a certainty. And uh, I'm in the middle of history, so I'm in the middle of this movement in the direction of the coming of the Master. Jesus' promise to return and, and receive his people is good news. Uh, In in talking with the apostles uh, just before his arrest and crucifixion, he spends a lot of time telling them how it's a good thing that I'm leaving because I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare us for his return. History's going somewhere. And human beings will reap what they sow. Um, Without this doctrine of the final judgment. All of our aspirations for justice, for communion, uh, can easily be co-opted by secular substitutes, you know, utopian movements, uh, social causes, which are imitations of the kingdom of God. Our kingdom is not of this world, which means it didn't originate in this world. It originated beyond this world. And yet, Time after time, there are movements, political movements that have messianic pretensions. Uh, Benedict the wrote wisely and beautifully about this, and in fact, in the Catechism itself, uh, it refers to this problem of messianic pretenders, movements like the Third Reich, uh, well, <laughs> the Age of Aquarius, all right, uh, evolutionary eugenics, uh, the the communist worker paradise, the uh, the free love millennialists, um, the totalistic uh, Islamists. Uh, These are, I mean, the whole gaggle of movements out there uh, in utopian humanisms that vie for the allegiance of people. They want your heart. Jesus is the one who calls us to his kingdom, and that's where our heart should be. You know, there are good people who fall for the ruse, of these counterfeit kingdoms. The great German existentialist philosopher Martin Heidegger devoted his life to better serve the Fuhrer, whom he called the Savior. <laughs> it's amazing to me. Arnold Toynbee, uh, this is a famous historian of last generation, Toynbee called uh, communism, Christianity, gone awry. Uh, it, many have have written of an Anglican uh, who... <laughs> Reverend Hewlett Johnson uh, as, as one of millions whose pilgrimage uh, didn't lead uh, <laughs> to Jerusalem or to Rome. It led to Moscow, where he paid homage to the new utopia that was being built by Lenin and Stalin. Only when Jesus' return will the kingdom be fully actualized. It It has started. He inaugurated it at the Incarnation. Okay? So Christ's kingdom is not just a future event. It's it's now. It's happening. He's on the throne. Uh, and I think that we have to remember that. The, the sweep of salvation history brings us to the final realization that God will be all in all, 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but we we have to remember that there's a there's a present reality to this, but there is a future fulfillment of it uh in the church in between the times, the church is the mechanism, the means, the people group through which the king is operating to bear witness to the coming kingdom. you know we pray uh thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven right. Uh, We see, even in our own day, we see signs and wonders. We see miraculous healings. There are tokens and signs of the kingdom. St. Paul talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the age to come. We can taste the powers of the age to come. You know, In the New Testament, you get the impression that this is an experience the believers had, and then St. Paul is writing about it to give it content and form so that they have language to describe it but they encounter God they encounter Christ, they encounter his spirit and then in a sense doctrine kind of uh, comes alive in the mind and pens of the apostles to help us uh, articulate that so when Jesus says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be yours as well uh, he's He's planning to do that now hey yeah, I, I, look We live in a time when people overlook the kingdom yet to come because they're interested in getting ahead or they're interested in getting even or getting stoned. And even some of them are interested in getting saved, but they're being saved to the wrong kingdom. I'm Al Creston.